Deeper Dance with your host Yasmina Ramsey, where we explore how world dance expresses the inexpressible and helps us to understand the meaning of our existence. Michael Prosserman is a best-selling author, b-boy or breakdancer, university instructor and certified coach who specializes in scaling startups, team culture, fundraising and succession. In Michael's new book, Building Unity, Leading a Nonprofit from Spark to Succession, he shares practical tools and stories to launching, leading and leaving a sustainable organization. He scaled a grassroots organization from the ground up as the founder of Unity Charity, an organization using hip-hop to improve youth mental health. Over 15 years, Michael grew Unity from a volunteer group to employing 80 staff, raising $7 million and having an impact on 250,000 youth. Hi, Mike. Nice to meet you. I'm very nice. happy our uh, common friend Amy Lung introduced us. Yes, and should I? Well. <laughs> Should I call you Mike, Michael, or Pieces? Uh, you can call me Mike. That's cool. <laughs> okay, that'll be easier for me. Thanks. So um, we're going to talk about your art form, your dance form, and how you've used it to uh, reach out to the community and do amazing work. Like your bio is amazing. And um, there's one quote that I read. I think it was the Huffington Post uh, that you said that I thought really sums up the things that I do know about breakdancing from watching a documentary and things like that. And that is, you said, by caring about something even as simple as breakdancing, then a young person will start to see the relevance of things like school, work, and their future. And I noticed that the documentary that I, I watched, um, it, how do you say, it focused on several groups in Uganda, Cambodia, Somalia, Yemen, different countries. And in each place, this seemed to be what was happening, that there was a community leader who was using the art form to reach out to young people who felt disenfranchised and help them have hope for a better future. And um, so it seems that's what you've done as well. Is that correct? And you have a, an organization called Unity Charity. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I would I wouldn't go as far as so. Firstly, I don't I'm no longer with Unity. I left two and a half years ago, and uh, yeah, I mean I think every context is very different. So I wouldn't position myself as any sort of leader in any way. Uh, I would really just say I, you know, at the time we we built a community of artists who were interested to contribute to their communities and and sort of went from there. But uh, I don't think we were really leaders in any way we were just kind of doing the work and sharing uh the the art forms that had impacted our lives and in our own way so uh, what do you think it is about breakdancing that helps to position it in such a way that it it can really lift up youth who feel disenfranchised yeah i mean well firstly uh in in the breaking community we usually refer to it as as break-in or b-boying or b-girling. Breakdancing was actually like a media term coined in the 70s that was, you know, I guess misused or misinterpreted as the way we talk about the art form, but it's really 
in its true form, to my knowledge. And, and again, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, but uh, we focus on talking about it as break-in or, or, or b-boying or b-girling. But in context of young people, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, um, but that really focuses on, I guess, the power that hip-hop and break-in has had in my life and really through growing up in a, in a household where I was just trying to find an outlet for all the things that I was going through. Hip hop and the community was just the perfect avenue for me personally. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily, I think everyone's context is so different that it's hard to say what, you know, others are looking for, but I can definitely say that for me, it was that sense of community that, sense of purpose, um, the sense of feeling valued for the contribution that I had to make. So all of these things were, were, were big parts of how hip hop impacted my life. And it impacted your life at a very young age. No, how young were you? I mean, I started breaking when I was about 13 years old, but uh, prior to that, I had actually gotten into gymnastics as a kid. My mom put me into gymnastics and I was always upside down and, and doing things on my hands, walking around the house. And uh, so, I mean, formally, I started breaking, learning from Benzo from Bag of Tricks, uh, a mentor of mine who uh, I still know to this day. And, you know, he's an amazing dancer and, and mentor in the community uh, in the crew bag of tricks. And, uh, he sort of put me into learning about all these different foundational styles and, and, uh, just all the different components of breaking. And then at Benzo's class is where I met my crew, which is how I met, uh, Amy, who is, uh, engaged to Clinton. So that's Clinton's and MEC, which is the crew that, that I'm part of who I met at Benzo's class. Um, probably more than 20, 20 years ago. So when you say crew, that's similar to like a dance team or a dance company. Another interview I had, they call them houses. Um, so like a team or a group, that, and you compete against other groups? Yeah, I mean, at least for me, uh, a crew is, is more than that. And I actually write a little bit about this in, in my new book about crews and, and the meaning of a crew and um, and what that means in terms of just the depth of that relationship, that support network, that community. So, you know, yes, competing is one of the things that we do sometimes, but what the crew really represents is like almost like a family, you know, a second family or even a first family. And, and uh, for me, the crew had a lot of meaning in that way. Uh, as friends, as, you know, people who guided me on my path, and even to this day as adults uh, who are still part of my life in a, in a very important way. So crews are, yes, they're, they are sort of like groups of, of dancers usually, um, but some of them don't necessarily dance as much as they used to as we get older, but we still maintain the, that connection. And, and to me, that's like the culture behind hip hop is part of it is that crew mentality and how we come together and how we get together because, um, you know, crews fundamentally start from a place of values. And, uh, and I believe that 
all, all the members of our crew have a sense of values that are aligned and that are different from other crews in the city. So, you know, we, we come with a certain vibe, a certain energy, a certain, you know, um, way of being. Right. That's beautiful. So you, you feel connected to these people in a, in a very um, ideological way as well, not, not just dancing together. Like it's not mm-hmm. just a physical thing. Totally. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's much deeper than that. I think that's what breaking, at least for me, that's what it sort of is, is it's bigger than the dance. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, perhaps you can clear some things up for me and I'm assuming many other people out there are as confused as I am. <laughs> am I correct in thinking that the genre overall is hip hop? And within that, you have b-boying, b-girl, breakdancing. You have rapping, graffiti, hip-hop dance. Um, One of the reasons I ask is because a long time ago, I think I was in either my early 50s or something like that, and I wanted to take hip-hop because I wanted another form because I do belly dancing or what's normally called that. And I wanted something not so subtle, not so soft and feminine. I wanted something strong, but I could still isolate and I thought I could use my isolations. So I wanted to take a hip hop class and I went to a school and I don't know, I guess I arrived on the wrong day or got some messaging wrong. And they said, sorry, there's no hip hop class today, but you can take the breakdance class. So I went into this class and here I am like 50 something. Everybody in the class was not over 16. And so I was like grandma in there. And I think they didn't really know what to do with me. And then there was all this, because I didn't really know that there was a difference or which each was. So there I am, they're on the floor with their legs up in the air and turning around and spinning and everything. And I wasn't about to walk away and say, I can't do it. Like I I refused, so I tried it, paid for it for the next two weeks. But, uh, But it was quite the experience. But that's when I first found out, okay, there's a big difference between hip-hop dance, what's called hip-hop dance, and breakdancing, like the isolations of the hip-hop. Yes, it's involved in breakdancing, but that whole upside-down thing with the legs and the spinning and, whoa, that was physically very challenging. (laughs) (laughs) So what is the difference between all those terms and, and how do they all fit in together? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in breaking down what something like hip-hop dancing is or any of those things like choreo and there's there's a lot of street styles and and i i'm not necessarily like a historian by any means in that practice or or even in breaking to be honest like i think for me it's been really important to to learn more about that and to sort of tap into some of the elders in the community who who hold that knowledge so for for me that's that's important uh is sort of who are your mentors and who are you learning from depending on what you're sort of, whatever it is you're learning. And, um, you know, as sort of a guest in hip hop, as a white guy in a culture that is, you know, very much predominantly, and the roots of the culture are in, you know, black culture. Yeah, I don't don't generally share definitions of the Mm -hmm. craft because it's not sort of, you know, I'm I'm a guest, you know, but I do also... um, it's a continued learning journey for me. You know, sometimes I show up and I learn something new every time I, I get involved in a different way in, in the community all over the world. So uh, I think it, to me, it's about finding the right mentors and it's about um, learning from practitioners, people who are out there doing it and, and getting engaged with uh, different 
different forms and different styles and, and different communities and really learning from, cause you know, hip hop's not that old necessarily. And a lot of the people who are practicing, you know, from the South Bronx or, you know, in New York or, or wherever, anywhere in the world, you can actually learn from them. So, you know, checking out crews from the early days is, is actually, you know, from the seventies. Right. So it's not that far back that we can't look into uh, different sources to, to get that information. And, but the internet now it's so accessible, like, you know, you can just click and, you know, be following, you know, Rocksteady crew or, or people who are part of the original movement. So, um, yeah, I would definitely say like lots of research can be done and it's all at the access of your fingertips. And, you know, you can just drop someone a note who is out there and, and learn from some of the best in the world. Let's talk about uh, your working with Cirque du Soleil. How did that come about? And what was that like? Yeah, so I never actually got to work with Cirque. I did an audition about 20 years ago when they came to Toronto. And I, it was a two-day audition that uh, I went to, I think, when I was in high school. And um, I think I was about 16 or 17 and uh, went through that whole process. Um, there are about 30 or so people who attended. And by the end of it, they sort of cut it down to about five or six. So I had made it into the pool of performers, but I never actually went to uh -huh. Cirque. I decided to go to York University instead at the time, uh, instead of sort of pursuing that further. But, uh, you know, it was a big possible career path. And you know, I had made it through the audition process, which was really quite an experience, but I decided I wanted to invest my more of myself into um, my education and, and uh, sort of sharing hip hop in a different way than just pursuing it myself. Mm. And how do you do that? Well, yeah, through, through Unity. So we started a uh, grassroots sort of hip hop program in schools back in 2007 or six. And we started just running these programs for free for young people, teaching, breaking, uh, teaching, emceeing, teaching graffiti and offering after school programs to young people. And we didn't really know what we were doing. We were young people ourselves. Um, this was probably about 17 or so years ago. So it was a long time ago. And we, were able to just get into schools and start running programs and get artists on board and get schools to pay small fees for us to come in. And we were just sharing our art, you know, our craft with young people, with teenagers mostly, and uh, just getting that response from them and learning what was working and what resonated and what didn't. And we just built these programs and built eventually a nonprofit that grew quite a bit uh, over the years to a national a national organization that uh, still exists to this day, um, impacting the lives of young people. And later on, we decided to sort of shift our mission towards youth mental health because we realized the impacts that the programs were having on young people's well-being and uh, started to become more intentional about what that looked like through the programs that we, we built with the artists who built them and the communities we were serving um, and just continue to grow that and, and learn 
learn by doing sort of, I call it building the plane while flying it, you know, <laughs> making things up as you go along and making mistakes and then not making those mistakes the next time you try it because you learned. When you started to focus on like consciously realizing the impact it had on mental health, um, did you reach out to mental health practitioners? Uh, yeah, there was a balance. I mean, I think it's one of the constant sort of balances that we faced around, you know, preserving the integrity of the art and hip hop while, you know, focusing on improving mental health of young people. And, you know, you could sort of argue that hip hop in many ways is a, is a positive tool for many things in society. And, and, and the movement has created lots of change and lots of, um, you know, had a lot of impact in young people's lives in a lot of different places in the world. In some ways, it, it already affects mental health without even having to bring in mental health, sort of clinical mental health practitioners. Um, that being said, I'm a believer we can learn from everyone and we can sort of, you know, pick from the tree of knowledge that anyone has to offer. And so we would bring in people of all walks of life, of all cultural backgrounds, of all uh, professional experiences, and, you know, ask them to be mentors to us. So we did have people in the sort of more formal mental health space. But, you know, in some ways, we were in a much more informal mental health space. And they would come to us saying, you know, how do you do this in such an organic way? Because we didn't want it to feel clinical or even like it was like a mental health program. So uh, I think that was really important to us that we kept our values and we kept the values of the artists and the practitioners and, and the, the hip hop sort of culture within um, the work that we were doing, because otherwise it's just sort of any after school program, you know, it could be any art form, but it was, we chose hip hop for a reason. Actually, out of curiosity, is it predominantly boys or is it half and half? Um, our program, I guess, from a gender perspective, evolved over the years. Like it was more male dominated uh, and it depended on the art form, too, because we, we had like spoken word and graffiti and even beatboxing that we were teaching. So but in, in our programs, it was at one point quite predominantly male. And eventually we uh, made some efforts to provide more diversity of all types, uh, including gender. And I think that was important to us because, you know, we wanted people to feel like the programs could be safe for them. And, you know, if you have a bunch of all dudes just sort of hanging out, sweating in a room, that wasn't always the most safe place for, for young women. So yeah. um, we found and trained more female facilitators and um, brought more of that into our training process and our recruitment process. Um, but in hip hop, there's definitely sort of this macho vibe that sometimes can come along with it. So it took some work to actually, you know, pull that apart. And, uh, and it wasn't perfect, to be honest, like we still, it, it was a constant uh, effort, because that's in some ways part of how it is and how it's been. So we sort of had to pull some of that apart. And, um, you know, there's some amazing female and uh, practicing breakers and, you know, dancers all over the world and they're making noise and beating, you know, their male counterparts mm -hmm. uh, at the same time 
there there is some effort that needs to be done there in the community for sure. So this organization that you grew from grassroots and then became national across the country, is this the organization that's called uh, Unity Charity, or that's that's another name? Yeah, that's that's Unity. I see. So you're not involved with it now? No, I left about two and a half years ago. It's been almost, wow, it's been a while. <laughs> and that's, is that when you wrote the book? Yeah, so I started writing the book a little before I had left, but that, those are mostly journals and just sort of reflections on my own learning. And when we made mistakes, I sort of wrote them down. And when really cool stuff happened to us, I sort of wrote them down and had all these journals. And, and also it was a point of reflection and even sometimes therapeutic in many ways to just write. Mm-hmm. And then when I left Unity, I decided, you know, I might try to put this in a format that I could share these lessons that I had learned with other people. Um, not to say that they would necessarily be practical for everyone, but, you know, to share my truth, to share my experience so that I can, you know, first, most personally, just look back and say, wow, this was an incredible experience. And, and, and what, you know, talk about honestly, the parts that weren't that great and, and the challenging parts and the struggles so that, you know, when people are thinking of building sort of social purpose movements and, and charities and nonprofits that, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the idea that doing something that's quote unquote good uh, or, you know, a helping sort of occupation is, is all good. And, and it's not, it's, you know, it comes with a lot of um, sort of struggle and, and, and failure and learning. And, and that's just, that's just not automatic. So I tried to be as honest as I could in those reflections in the book and uh, try to create a process for other people who are trying to start their own social purpose initiatives to consider when they're going through that process themselves. And they just have this idea or this thing in their community that they just really want to step up to and do something about. And, and this book can, you know, really be a framework for, for people of all ages to just take their ideas and just build the plane and build the plane while flying it, make it up as you go along and, and see what happens. And, and knowing that, you know, we can cause harm through our actions and, and unintentionally, um, you know, challenging our good intentions to, to do better and to reflect on the impact that we're having. I think that's another thing I really push throughout the book is that I believe that, you know, good intentions aren't always good enough and, and we really need to challenge our thinking and our, our practice to really understand and listen to the communities we work with and we work for because uh, it's easy to get blindsided by passion and, and energy that can sometimes be misguided and, and, you know, I really challenge people to always keep learning. And that's really like a hip hop sort of mentality is, you know, always learning. And we have so many people to learn from. So uh, I wanted to just document and share my experience and my truth. And, you know, with the hopes that maybe one person might resonate with it. And if that's the case, then it's a home run. After you finish writing the book, you can take an aerial look, aerial view look of your life creating all of this how did it make you feel yeah it, it it's kind of overwhelming personally for me because um sometimes i get 
people asking me questions about stuff that we did at unity and what the team put together and all these artists contributed to. And, you know, I really, it wasn't me, it was really a team effort and a community effort. And I sort of that now look at my current life and say, you know, it's a bunch of small parts that turned into this really much bigger thing, much bigger than me. It's larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some ways that's, been a beautiful thing to be a part of and some of my best friends who are board members and staff and artists and volunteers just people who I I'm still in touch with and and close with to to this day Um, I care about the organization I care about the people and I care about the mission that they continue to uh, to serve and at the same time it's 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 overwhelming because you know in some ways I feel like I set this unrealistic expectation of myself to achieve something that is sort of larger than me and larger than life. And, you know, I don't know if that's really what my next phase holds for me. I'm not completely sure as I explore that. So I think I've learned through meditation and just sort of breathing and taking it slower. I mean, COVID has allowed some more space for that, but slowing down uh, because at first I felt this really, this pressure to to do something again or to do something you know big or you know that makes an impact but i think i i've learned to be more kind to myself and say that you know i i did that and i'm proud of it and i'm thankful for it and you know there's not a day that goes by that i don't sort of like miss it a little bit um at the same time it was completely the right move so i feel like at peace with that transition and uh, it happened at the right time in the right way. So all of that stuff is just really, it's really great. And and now I can sort of step back and say, okay, how can I be thoughtful about the energy that I put out into the world and, you know, the projects that I get involved in and, and the things that I do. And it doesn't have to be what it was because now I'm sort of in a different space, right? So uh, just being, giving myself permission to, to just be. Mm-hmm. I can completely relate. <laughs> um, what do you think your, yourself, what drives you? I mean, obviously you're a person who expresses themselves through their body from a very young age, gymnastics and you're on your head and exceptional B-boy, etc. So you are somebody who's a dancer or a mover or lives in your body. And then you also have this other passion for making your community better, for reaching out to others, for helping others. These these two passions, they thankfully in your life merged and made this incredible uh, journey. But do, do you feel that had you not been a dancer, would you have been a community outreach person? Had you not been a community outreach person, would you have been a dancer? Like which... Which is the chicken and the egg? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I was kind of, in some ways, it was quite intentional, but it it, it all came together in that way. Like, I, I look back and, again, I feel a lot of pressure to sort of marry all of my life experiences and passions into something that could be a job. And that's really unrealistic. But, you know, in that particular case, I was able to do it. and I, And I feel like it's something that, a lot of people never get to experience where, you know, mental health had impacted my life so much and still does to this day and dance and break in and hip hop and the community impacted my life. And I was able to sort of mold it into this job that, 
you know, we created. And I, I totally appreciate that that's like unusual and it's not, you know, what everyone will ever get to do. So for me, I, I try to look back and say, how do I take parts of that and in a small way, recreate moments of joy where the different parts of my, maybe it's dancing or mental health experience or things that I'm going through can be sort of married together in, in maybe a project or a volunteer effort or, you know, even a conversation. So it's less pressure to feel like I need to build another thing. And it's more about just sort of living sort of in a centered way around the values and things that matter to me and the energies I want to be bringing in versus, you know, just sort of um, allowing some of the things in that, that are coming in to, to my sort of space that, you know, I can, I can say no to, and I can be intentional about, about turning that way and aiming differently. So to me, there is this sort of, I look at it as like the direction that I'm facing and moving in. And I don't always know where it's, it's going to go, but I'm putting a lot of intention to the people that I'm meeting and the conversations that I'm having and the little small tests that I'm creating along the way. And as an example, more tangibly lately, I've been running peer support groups for nonprofit executive directors or leaders, senior leaders. And that's just been such a beautiful experience because it's something I never had, something I wish that I had, that I could have a safe space to talk about confidentially some of the things that I really couldn't talk about when I was running a charity in, in Toronto and here in the city. And for me, that was really powerful because now I was able, now I'm able to create that space. So I just tested it. I got a bunch of nonprofit leaders together and we just tried it and it went super well. So I said, okay, maybe I'll grow this a little bit, you know? So it wasn't, you know, I just sort of think about the things that, that I wish I had in my life and try to create them or these sort of gaps that I see in society. And I just, I sort of poke it and experiment with it and see what happens. And sometimes nothing happens and I just sort of walk away and I've learned something. But for me, I'm always kind of testing these small ideas and um, unity just happened to be sort of a bunch of tests that boiled into this bigger pot of tests that became an organization, but I'd never imagined it to be, like an entity or a charity or any of those things, it just sort of happened to become that. Whereas really all it was, was a bunch of small experiments of things that not only I was passionate about, but things that the community who had gotten engaged with us were also passionate about. And I think one of sort of the things that I focus on is bringing people together who want to create a similar type of a change within certain frameworks of what we're aiming for. So walking in the same direction as us is maybe a, another way of saying it. And I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, you're interested in walking in this direction too. Let's consider how we might, you know, do this more effectively together. And, uh, and then just bringing people into that. And then all of a sudden, you know, every year, if we bring in a few people who, who stay engaged, it just naturally grows, right? One sort of small piece at a time, I, I think, when you look at the final outcome of what unity became, I never would have hoped for it to be so big. In fact, sometimes things so big have other problems because they're harder to manage all the mm -hmm. fundraising and moving parts. And, you know, it's just part of growing, but I think what it took to build unity was not what it needed to keep it going. So I knew it was time for me to, uh, to step away and, and 
let someone else sort of take that spot and and that happened about yeah two and a half years ago which was which is great now I don't stress about it the way that I once did which is really nice and now you're using all that experience to help others do similar things in in their uh now you're helping others forge their paths in uh charity works yeah I believe it you know I mean, hierarchies are kind of crappy models for success, but we use them and most people use them. So, you know, we might as well make the hierarchy a little bit less oppressive or uncomfortable. So I think working with leaders, I think my big goal when I work with nonprofit and charity leaders is to be more self-reflective in their practice, to think about their impact that they're having on the things that are happening versus pointing fingers at others. And I think through that process of looking at themselves, they'll realize over time that, you know, it's not about them, it's about the community. And if they don't already realize that, and more importantly, you know, how do you um, create an impact that's more sustainable beyond an individual? And it's about a community getting around uh, a cause. So, yeah. And do you believe you, you learned these values through hip-hop yeah a lot of them are in hip-hop like that's that's again this is kind of like what the book does is it parallels creativity and hip-hop and like jumping into a cypher and just dancing and throwing down and like creating an organization where you know it's bigger than any one individual it's it's a big um it's a community you know so yeah i'd say a lot of the values i pulled from or into unity were from hip-hop in many ways which is I, I see a lot of parallels in those two universes like even in the idea of a crew like when we talk about team culture like what better way than to build off the strengths of the individuals who are in your crew versus you know that top-down approach so mm-hmm. i think a lot of the i guess non-hierarchical, community-based values, each one teach one, you know, building something out of nothing. These are sort of values I pulled together from, that I learned from hip-hop that I applied in building an organization. Mm, That's beautiful. It's a fascinating subject. I now know why Amy was pushing. She pushed me to watch this documentary years ago. She goes, Yasmina, did you watch it? Did you watch it yet? (laughs) And at that particular time, I was like so stressed. I'm like, I didn't have five minutes, let alone an hour. And, um, but what, what was fascinating is the parallels that I see in other dance forms. And as I'm doing these interviews for this podcast, community, working with others, self-esteem, these all seem to be attributes that happen when somebody gets involved, particularly in dance forms that start off, or they all start off that way, but particularly in dance forms who are new who are not established, not like ballet or contemporary dance or, or traditional folklores or things like this, but dances that are organic, that are born out of community, basically, and because of a situation, because of a struggle. And when these dance forms are sort of aligned with that, they, they just have such powerful impacts on so many levels. And uh, mm. so I, I, it's really a pleasure talking to you because you really, your experience is like, prime example of all of that (laughs) so it's really good thank you very much for for meeting me today yeah no thanks for inviting me out and uh good luck with your your work it sounds amazing and 
you know, Amy speaks very highly of you. So I, I, I would never say no when a friend asks and I always end up meeting great people as a result of never saying no, but <laughs> that's the joy of, uh, just, have you ever seen that movie? Yes, man. By with Jim Carrey, like, he has to say yes to everything. And I love no, it. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> I feel like that's me. And it ends up becoming the way that I connect with so many people from, from across different universes is because I just open myself to, to what's possible, you know? Um, mm. So thank you okay. so much, Yasmina. Nice chatting with you. Nice to meet you. And, nice to meet you. Uh, stay in touch. We'll see you around. Yes. Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining me, your host, Yasmina Ramsey, for this week's episode of Deeper Dance. If you would like more information, please check out my website at yasminaramseyarts.com. I hope you join me next week with more fascinating guests and more ideas to ponder inspired by dance. Music